Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Hi, I'm Tasha Pierce, your favorite podcaster's favorite pod aunt. I host Sinister Silhouettes, a true crime and conspiracy podcast. Every Tuesday, I'm inviting you to pull up a chair, pour your favorite drink, and chat with me about all the crazy crap that goes on in this world. That's Sinister Silhouettes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you get your pod fix. Why, hello, dearly detested. We are gathered here today for Perhaps It's You, an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. And I was just telling Samantha there's absolutely no room for improvement in this podcast. It's perfect the way it is. It's certainly as good as it's ever going to be. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, Samantha, that's the wrong attitude. You're going, Liz, it's a jumbled mess and you're never prepared and you just babble about stuff. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Perfection. <laughs> no room for improvement. There was something on Twitter this week where... I don't know who had this opinion, but it was real bad that if you were going to say rate a book on Goodreads less than three stars, instead of doing that, you should contact the author and let them know what your problems were. So like, I don't know what the goal of that was, but basically like you don't need to air that in public. Let the author know your criticisms. Which is this like massive misunderstanding of like what reviews are for. <laughs> reviews are not for authors. They're for readers to see if they want to read the book. Right. Yeah. But I was like, this is, if you thought that I wanted that for this podcast, you're dead wrong. Like <laughs> you can listen or you cannot listen, but I like what we make. We make it for us. You're, you know, you can join in or not. But I definitely do not want your negative feedback of what could be improved. <laughs> Absolutely not. That is garbage to me. <laughs> I cannot imagine a scenario in which I would email an author, a creator, any really anyone with my negative feedback. Have you considered making what you make, but like to my customized taste? <laughs> I can't imagine doing that. I cannot imagine doing that. I it's really a can't. very weird idea. And then his response, I mean, obviously it was a dude. His response was like, wow, you guys must know some really fragile authors. They couldn't take a little constructive feedback. I was like, no, just no one cares about your opinion. Like yeah. you do. <laughs> and that's great. But no one else does. Okay. No one else. <laughs> Mr. Stephen King, have you considered? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what is what does he care? He doesn't. Yeah, he's rolling around in his millions of dollars in Maine. He doesn't give a fuck what any of us think. But I write it in, and I was like, ah, uh, so I got around to reading Carrie. Gotta say, ending kind of disappointing. Just dies in fire. What have you thought about? Like maybe rewriting that? Could we get like a Carrie too, where you fix that for me? Me personally, yeah, that's absurd. Yeah. That's absurd. Do you, it's like the book's like dedicated to me to Liz Walker, who pointed out all my foibles, <laughs> making me the man I am today. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's wild out there. I feel like 
the pandemic is making people real weird. <laughs> yes. And I'm actually surprised it hasn't made me weirder. I've got to, maybe it's because Max here. And maybe it's because I'm slightly accountable to the five and I'm not just, I haven't come, become completely feral, <laughs> which is what I would have expected by this point where it's just like, I don't know, who knows? Who knows? What, I mean, the weirdest thing I've done is I made a barasca in my Animal Crossing island. I'm excited to come tour your Baraska area in your in your <laughs> island. If you what? folks, if you play Animal Crossing, join our Facebook group. Yes, in our Facebook group, and we can go visit Liz's well, island. You can come, you can see, come to the Baraska. Um, yeah, that's, Honestly, that's, that's not that that's weird. Not that, that's not that that's weird. Not that weird. It's a, it's a slightly weird, I guess. But people make whole islands that are like killer clown themed. Yeah, or Harry Potter themed, or whatever themed. So not that weird. Not that weird. I just remember when I was a teenager, like I would be cleaning my room and I would get distracted and I would end up like making a whole art project. (laughs) But I think I just don't really have that like energy anymore. Maybe like I'm expecting to be more like that where like I haven't, I don't know, had any human contact and I'm just in my pajamas like doing weird projects but for one mac is here to like make sure i remember to eat so that's good and it's helpful it is helpful. you know i can check in with you to make sure that i haven't like totally lost the plot i guess <laughs> and we do have the five like you said and we have we the are... five i have to hang on for them you know we're, keep, we're keeping a podcasting schedule more or less consistently so i think that's something it does remind me that, like, time has passed, because otherwise I'm not sure I would really know. Where I'm like, oh, man, it's already been a week. It's time for us to record again. Huh. Exactly. So otherwise yeah. it all kind of blurs together. You're also accountable to Lenny Briscoe and Ray Curtis. Yeah, a little, a little bit. So that helps. <laughs> yes. How are you holding up? I am doing okay today. We had a, a really bad wind storm yeah. on Friday night. And pretty much we our area did not have a tornado warning, but pretty much everywhere else did. At one point, there were nine tornado warnings, which I've never seen before. We don't live in Tornado Alley. We get some severe weather up here in Minnesota, but it's not usually like that. So we had some straight line winds. And I will say, I feel like I'm on this edge where almost anything could tip me over into like just I just not being able to handle life anymore. And I have these mammoth sunflowers that I got. I've been growing them from seed and I kid you not just babying these stupid sunflowers (laughs) along. I'm out there every day. I I fertilize them once a week. I put up a little staking system after our last windstorm because we get really bad winds on that side of, of our house. And I went out there after the windstorm and they were like, flat oh yeah i thought i was gonna have a a breakdown i almost did they are fine most of them are fine we did lose two and i like was able to sort of tie them to each other kind of to get them straightened back they're they're heat they're like 10 feet tall at this point these sunflowers are massive and i've been it's like the only thing i've been doing like all summer is just taking care of these (laughs) stupid sunflowers And (laughs) when I saw them laid over, I was like, well, this is it. I'm whatever. Why? What is the point? Yeah, I just give up. Yeah, I I just I give up. So I'm doing better today because I went out there before this podcast to check on them and they've straightened a little bit. I have a the thing is, they're just about to bloom. And I'm like, this is I've been waiting for this all summer. These stupid flowers. (laughs) 
and if if they all break and fall over in a windstorm right before they op- the blooms open, I'm going to just, I don't know, climb on the roof and jump off, I guess. But fortunately, it did, it's not going to come to that, I don't think, because I, I think they've mostly recovered. I mean, so, I don't uh, think jumping off your roof is going to kill you. You yeah. might just break your leg. You know what? That's a really good point. Let's just, and then we'll you'll just have a here. <laughs> You'll just have a broken, like, on top of everything else, you'll just have a broken leg. You're right. I didn't think that through. All right. I'm headed to the Belvedere, everyone. Bye. See ya. Um, I'm glad you survived that storm because I, I heard the tornado sirens and texted you and you were like, no, my cookies. <laughs> my cookies are in the oven. And I was like, oh, shit. It's time to decide which is more important, your safety or the cookies. Okay, this is something. If you're from, if you're local to us in Minnesota, you will understand this because they've, they just the last year or two, they've started selling Sweet Martha's cookies in the grocery store, which is this iconic cookie stand in, from the state fair, where you go to the state fair and you literally buy a bucket of cookies and just eat them <laughs> everybody, all. Everybody is walking around with an overflowing bucket of cookies and that's somehow normal. And the ground <laughs> is just like covered in smashed up cookies and no one bats an eye. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go buy a hundred cookies. There's or, so I don't know. However many it's, fit in that bucket. It's so many. It's like a gallon bucket just full of cookies. <laughs> and so they sell these in the grocery store now. And you could, it, my husband and I have got down to a science where we cook them for eight minutes. And they're so soft, you almost have to eat them with a spoon. So good. So I had just put my Sweet Martha's cookies in the oven. And all of a sudden, Liz is texting me, telling me that there might be a tornado coming my way. And I'm like, well, the tornado can take me. I don't know. I've got eight minutes. <laughs> Samantha, Max says the tornado's heading your way. Well, because obviously we were like, mon- we didn't want to go in our gross basement. So we were like monitoring where it was after hearing the sirens to see if we really had to go into the basement. <laughs> or I could just keep, you know, playing Animal Crossing on my couch like I wanted to. And then it was like, oh no, it's going Samantha's way. Well, I'm going to die, I guess. Unless-, <laughs> unless the tornado gets here in nine minutes. And then I can- <laughs> I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to really stop doing what I, I, Storm, I'm busy. I don't have time for this. There's there's Animal Crossing to be played. Oh, well, we all came out of it pretty much okay. My yeah. sanity is mostly intact, so well, that's we will good. start I'm another like- week. <laughs> that's all we can, I mean, really, all we can do right now. I know times are tough. I know people are really struggling. All we can do right now is survive. That's literally, like, just make that your goal. And then if you did that, great. Like, you you, you excelled. That's it. Completely agree. <laughs> the only goal. Just We're just trying to make it through. Oh, well, my God. Do we have any updates? Oh. Yes. So, one update, even though she doesn't listen to the show, is I'm going to take <laughs> friend of the pod, Kara. I got a mysterious present in the mail, which was... Uh, the double record of the unsolved mystery soundtrack and i was yes. like who sent this it's amazing this was a it mystery out, it was a mystery it turned out it was it was cara so thank you cara even though you're not listening it is it, they're very pretty they're like pink and red and yellow records of the unsolved mystery soundtrack which i didn't have and i do definitely need so 
that's pretty cool. I also have an announcement. Well, a two-part announcement. So we are going to be continuing on with our Patreon thingamajigs. You may, you may be aware that uh, while everything is going so great in this country, we've also decided maybe we don't need a post office. So, yeah, things are going really well here. If you're not here, be super thankful. Um, that the president was like, what if we just like didn't have a post office so that you can't mail in your vote? That's a good idea. I'm going to be president for life. Um, yeah. So we're going to keep mailing out your rewards. They just... I don't know if they're going to get there. <laughs> they might be on the floor of a post. There was once this Chicago post office that like had this back room that was just full to the ceiling with mail or something because oh. they were just like, <laughs> they were just like shoving it. Maybe it was an abandoned post office and they were just shoving all the mail. They didn't want to deliver in there. Oh. I don't know. Okay. I sort of feel like stuff like that's going to be happening. <clears throat> we're going to keep mailing. Like we're going to keep mailing stuff out. Hopefully you get it. It's a little bit out of our hands. On that note, I have some tote bags to sell. Yeah. And I was waiting until we were done with our dog bandana sell, sale to sell them. And now I'm like, well, now the post office doesn't work. But <laughs> you we know can't what? control that. I mean, we can't wait. It, it, may, it might not ever get any better. I can't wait it out. So. Yeah, that's how that's how things are going. Anyway, we have tote bags, new tote bags for the podcast that say perhaps it's you podcast and then a little quote, it sounds like women talking, WTF on them. <laughs> and what's extra amazing about these tote bags is that they're in holographic foil. They're amazing. They're, they're so beautiful. They're <clears throat> even better than our last rainbow foil once I got to say. I I didn't think we could top it. Somehow we did. These are better. They're better. They're and and this is the only batch of these that is going to exist because we get them printed locally, and the printer told us they're not reordering this holographic foil for whatever this is reason. Rare. This is rare. The rare item. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to start selling these. Okay, Patreon people, you can buy them on the 31st. Everybody else, first of September. That's when they'll be available to the public. Uh, I'm gonna make this up right now. They are $22 <laughs> with US shipping. You gotta add in I don't know. I'll have to look it up. You'll have to add in more shipping to ship it to you, uh, you know, internationally. Whatever. I can't even talk anymore. So, we will have beautiful tote bags for sale. You will buy them. Will you be able to get them? Uh, hopefully. Because they're really nice. <laughs> they are really nice. And it would be such a shame if these ended up in a, a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but we'll have some faith. We'll, we'll hope that these will <laughs> make it to you if you purchase one. Yeah. Yeah. I it's. I mean, it's been an interesting year. We had a, a post office burned down nearby. Uh, I wasn't getting mail for a little bit. I'm not even sure that's, like, ever happened. Where they're like, hmm, we're going to have to turn off mail service because of... Uh, yeah, there's no post office there anymore. Also, my GPS keeps trying to take me to that post. Oh, my God. <laughs> Google, Google still thinks that post office is there. Google is Yeah, not, it'll not. be like, turn at the Arby's. And I'll be like, we burned that Arby's down. It's not there. It's gone, Google. Anyway, 
I'm supposed to be talking about our glorious tote bags. They're black tote bags, holographic foil. Oh, they're so beautiful. Head over to Instagram, maybe. Yeah, we'll post a picture on Instagram and maybe a video, a boomerang, perhaps. You'll be able to see the reflection. I've been carrying mine around to to the grocery store. I don't really go anywhere, but... The few places yeah. I've gone, I brought this tote bag and it's been great. Yeah, you might also say, like, I don't need a tote bag right now because I don't fucking go anywhere. Well, there's not a lot I can do about that. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it in a frame and look at how beautiful Oh, it yeah. Is. I don't know. Yeah. Sew it into a pillow. Um, so, yeah, I'll put up a link just for the Patreon people. 31st, they get the first crack and then I will put it on the website on the first. And I guess I'll get back to you next episode with international shipping prices but that'll also be on the website so i think that was it i think i should have maybe said that in a more uh joyful way but this is exciting people are gonna want these these tote bags we'll we got a few weeks we'll remind you um that the sale is coming up you're gonna want to get your hands on one of these rare very rare exclusive locally printed tote bags to help out the show because obviously we need snacks Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we We might need to buy some fake Canadian passports (laughs) because our passports are useless now. Yeah. So fund our fake our fake passports. Um. (laughs) I'm not bitter at all. Nope. 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 I'm optimistic. I look at a glass and I go, I can't believe there's any liquid in it. What a miracle. (laughs) Oh, praise the praise Satan. Thank you for this precious liquid. I have one or two updates as well. Oh, okay. I want to yeah, thank yeah. listener Bruce, who uh, apparently Liz is taking up smoking. If you follow us on Twitter, you will uh, no, no, have no. seen that. No, no, um, Only I would. I would. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Except that I can't get pink cigarettes in this country. You know how I can go to a fucking Walmart and buy like a automatic rifle? <laughs> That's fine. Uh, apparently Obama banned flavored cigarettes, and pink cigarettes are usually rose flavored. Ooh, I so didn't realize they were rose flavored. That's the reason I can't get them. It's okay. Obama's fault. <laughs> and I just feel like as the world is ending, I deserve a treat like pink cigarettes. So that's what I was talking about. And then everybody agreed, oh yeah, it'd be great to smoke pink cigarettes. <laughs> I mean, I don't really disagree. I, I, why not at this point? Uh, yeah, I don't. I can't really think of a good reason not to, honestly. Yeah, no. Uh, but anyway, so listener Bruce saw this exchange and you know couldn't get pink cigarettes to to you to us, but did send along some cigarette holders, some like Corella Deville style long <laughs> uh, cigarette holders. So we have those. So, when we, at so least. when we get them, we'll be able to smoke them in style. Yeah. So we're so we're halfway there. Uh, not sure how we're going to get the other half of this. this equation, but we've got the holders. Maybe you can send us some pink cigarettes. It's probably like super illegal and I shouldn't ask you to do that. So <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> absolutely do not do that um that sounds bad that was a really fun package to get into them in the mail thank you thank you listener bruce um i feel like i had another update but i don't really remember what it is at this point so maybe we should during the show you can go like breaking news and then (laughs) and then say your update you know cool sounds good okay i have Uh, the first mystery 
Yes, this is season five, episode 19. We must be getting to the end of the season. I feel like usually there's 20 something episodes in a season. I haven't checked on season five. Uh, yeah, obviously we're like not planning. Ahead. You know how it's like impossible to plan ahead now? There's like, why even? That's what's like, going to happen. That's the thing I think I messed up most, though. Plans. Uh, uh, got, got none of those. Uh, anyway, we watch on YouTube, so you can look this up, this episode. Okay, watch YouTube along. made me sign in to verify my age to watch <laughs> this episode, and I have no fucking idea why, and I'm mad about it. I'm mad, too, because I normally watch on my TV, and I'm not signed in on my TV. Yeah, because my Google password is my email, so it's super long, and I'm way too lazy to look it up and like type it in. <laughs> And so I was like, God damn it. Now I'm going to watch this. Was there uh, anything there's... illicit in this whole episode? I don't understand. I don't think so. There was this is yeah. primetime television that small children watched with their grandparents. Why do we have to sign in to verify my age? I never signed it on my TV because I just don't want Google knowing that much about me. They already know plenty. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. That's the theme of this episode. Is that I'm in a good place mentally. <laughs> not bitter. <laughs> not bitter. Very positive. I definitely think an election's going to happen. I definitely think everything's going to be just fine. And I don't think this is like the part of the movie where you're screaming at the people to move away from the haunted house. No. You know? You know what I mean? Yeah, where you're like, oh fine. my God, why are you staying in this house that's clearly haunted? The walls are dripping blood. And they're like, I don't know. We'll just wait it out. <laughs> okay. Whoa. We're going to talk about a wanted. There's a lot of wanteds in this episode. Mm-hmm. But this is specifically about Brian Brofill, who lived on the Vermont border close to Canada. Uh, if we go back to August 1986, he bought a large farm there and he told the locals that he had made his fortune, fortune in toothbrushes. So... <laughs> Which I just think is, is this- a hilarious lie. It sounds like he made it up on the spot. It says it sounds a lot like a Seinfeld joke, and it also is just like, so uh, Brian, see you bought a a big parcel of land out here. Mind me asking, uh, what what was your business? What was your trade? Um, toothbrushes. <laughs> oh, okay. So you were in the toothbrush selling business. Um, man- manufacturing mostly. Oh yeah, little, little import, lucrative. a little export. <laughs> you know how you make millions of dollars off toothbrushes? That's me. Notoriously anyway. lucrative, the toothbrush trade. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I kind of know I, if you if you named the the mustache, which I don't know if oh. real life this real life dude had a mustache, but the guy in the reenactment did, and it was it was a bold mustache. It's so. a bold, very solid mustache, probably fake. Has some Tom Selleck vibes. I called it the warm blood based on the horse that he buys that everybody makes a big deal about. I like it. I like it. Okay. So he goes to this like very rural area. People are friendly, but you know, maybe like not super open to outsiders, particularly city boys that have a bunch of toothbrush money. How many town. times do they mention that he was not prepared for rural life? Oh my god, it's I mean, all they could talk about. You could Clearly. do a drinking game of every time someone mentions that this was a city guy, totally unprepared for how to live in the country. Look, you, I kind of live in the country. It's not that fucking hard. I don't know what they were talking about. <laughs> I just like know, living anywhere else. 
every so often you're like, I had to go fetch horses this morning because they got out. And I'm like, oh, your life is so exciting. I mean, I guess maybe not everyone could do that. But like for the (laughs) most part, like it's not that much different than living fucking anywhere else. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't, I mean, also this guy's rich. He can just hire people to do stuff he doesn't know how to do. He didn't take like care he, of his own horses. We'll talk about that later. So I don't know yeah. what these people are he's talking not, about. He's not living like an Amish lifestyle where he's like putting up his own barns and churning butter. He <laughs> he just owns some land now. But uh, yeah, uh, these people cannot get over the fact that he was a city boy. <laughs> <laughs> and he came to their town. But he won them over with his friendliness his 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 curiosity, his willingness to learn. Basically, he admitted that he didn't know anything, and that made everybody feel good. It annoyed people, you know. They will they they mentioned that it was kind of annoying that he would like he was he was eager to learn, but his way of learning was asking you how to do it and then You're watching right. you do it. So that was kind but of like annoying. He was, but he was he so would, charming. <laughs> he his idea of learning was saying, "Hey Samantha, could you show me how to do this?" And then Samantha would show you, and then you would go, "Okay, could you do that again?" And then you don't have to do it at all. <laughs> Smart, really. Um, someone refers to him as an accident waiting for a place to happen because he doesn't know how to live on a farm. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Whatever. I'm sure he had help. I don't think he was running a farm by himself. I don't think he was like getting up with the the rooster. And, it uh, seems like he had, had a few sword. horses. I don't know that he, was he wasn't even boarding. That he was busy with other things. I don't think yeah. he was out there like tilling the land <laughs> in a big tractor. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So at one point, he buys this really expensive warm blood horse, and everybody makes a really big deal about it. And he's like, "Yeah, I paid ten grand for this horse," and people are like, "Ah!" They're like so impressed. And the only suspicious thing about him was that he paid for boarding his horses, which I think he had two, in cash. And the woman who takes his money tells her husband this because there's, like, nothing to talk about in this town. That she comes home and she's like, you won't believe it. Brian paid to board his horses in cash. And her husband goes, oh, he's a drug dealer. And she's like, no, no, he's nice. (laughs) Okay. Those things are mutually exclusive. And anyway, he had to go to the bank to get the money. He told me. Because that's, you know, proof. Uh, well, it turns out that he was growing tons of pot on his farm. He had over 2,000 plants. And it was the, what he, you know, gets raided. And it's the biggest bust in Vermont history. And they show his setup super elaborate. These lighting systems and the, like, sprinklers. But mostly because it gets so cold in Vermont, he had to, like, keep it super warm in there. This at this point in the in the episode, I was like, "Well, he does know how to be a farmer." Yeah, he's <laughs> clearly clearly he's doing great. I don't know what these yeah. people are talking about. So his his farm gets raided, but he's not there at the time. He's at a friend's house. I don't know, doing who knows what. And so they get a call saying, "Like, oh, have you seen Brian?" And she's like, "Why?" And it's like, "Well, <laughs> his farm just got raided by like the ATF or the FBI or whatever." And so Brian stays super calm and he tells his friends like, oh, I just got to go straighten this out. I need to make a phone call, whatever. And he comes back and he's like, yeah, can you drive me to the airport? (laughs) (laughs) I I need to save my reputation. Right. And they were just like, oh, okay, getting out of town. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Untold Mystery said that he made a quarter of a million a month just off the pot. 
Um, and people were sh- are sh- in this town are shocked because they all liked him. Basically, I think it's because he's white, right? right They're like, that so. guy's a white that that white guy's a drug dealer. That guy was running a huge pot farm. May- or maybe you're right, and they're just surprised that actually he was great at farming. I, I mean, maybe that was it. They were they're like, well, how dumb are we? We thought he was a bad farmer, and all this time he was <laughs> he was a great farmer, and we should have asked him for some pot because it looks like he had quality stuff. The uh, woman that boards his horses said that she couldn't believe he lived such a double life. And I was kind of like, this is not a double life. That's his job. This is a yeah. double life. <laughs> Just because you didn't people, know about it. <laughs> people, several people say that he was living a lie and they feel bad for him. And I was like, no, I don't think he was living a lie. He just didn't tell you he grew pot. I don't know that that like overtook his personality in like every way. People were acting like he pretended to be friendly. And I was like, I bet he was friendly. <laughs> He, like just also, guy. he just also grew pot and that just like is completely not comprehensible to, to <laughs> anyone in this segment and we're supposed to it's supposed to blow our minds that his only past conviction is for drunk driving which is honestly the shittiest thing we learn about this dude um we see a cop now that has a mustache and i called it the 12 year old because if this guy did not have a mustache, you would think he was 12. <laughs> he clearly has a mustache just to look like an adult. <laughs> and he actually might be a child wearing a fake mustache. <laughs> um, so now we learn that Brian was part of a vast smuggling operation. So in addition to growing pot, he also uh, was somehow involved in smuggling heroin. Um, and he had started doing this after traveling to Europe and seeing people and Again, I think he was friendly. He met a bunch of people living a very, like, affluent life and went, I want in on that. So he started um, taping heroin to his body and smuggling it. And that's how he got into the drug trade. Um, An informant at some point tells the feds that he wants to smuggle in 12 million in heroin, but doesn't know when or where. And I was like, that's not a tip. (laughs) Drug dealer wants drugs. Not helpful. Huh. Very good. Uh, unfortunately, viewers in okay, so that's in the segment. Basically, you see this informant meet a guy in like a dark car lot and be like, "Yeah." So he he keeps referring to his big deal. He's going to retire on. Oh yeah, yeah. But I don't know when or where it is. Okay, drug dealer wants to deal drugs. Got it. <laughs> So that's the end of the segment. Unfortunately, viewers in California recognized him. He apparently watched the show and then immediately took off. Um, so he was arrested in Carlsbad, California, and it ended up doing seven years. Let's take a look at Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. Uh, yes, captured. Viewers from Paso Robles, California, were shocked to realize that Brian was one of their neighbors. What? That friendly guy. He's been living a double life. <laughs> Local authorities immediately moved in to make a dress, only to discover he had disappeared. It is believed that Brian watched the broadcast and fled. He left all of his personal belongings behind. While in California, he had lived under the name Brian Jenkins and was working at a local horse ranch. Um, blah, blah, blah. They tracked him to Carlsbad. He was arrested on December 19th, 1993. Three weeks later, he was extradited back to Vermont. He was found guilty on drug possession and smuggling charges. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison. He ended up serving seven. He has since been released. I What a waste of everyone's time. This 
guy now would probably get like a small business grant just to start that farm. <laughs> That's what I thought this whole time. And at one point when they were still looking for him, they said he could receive potentially 20 years to life. And yeah. I was really hoping the update wasn't going to tell me that he was spending life in prison. So, I mean, I guess he spent seven years in prison. So, so yeah. a waste of every time his time is it's very stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that story. If you would like uh, a, a sort of an image for your vision board of how your pot farm should look, watch this segment. <laughs> it's gold. Hashtag goals. Yeah. All right. This next segment is also a wanted. Okay. In the summer of 1988, in the Persian Gulf, a U.S. ship had been attacked. I think it hit a, a, like an underwater mine, actually. Um so U.S. naval boats and aircraft were patrolling the Gulf uh, in, to, in order to protect U.S. ships. Um, one of the main naval ships was the USS Vincennes. Is that the right pronunciation? I think that's how Robert Stack pronounced it. Vincennes. Sure, that's fine. It's fine with me. It was equipped with surface-to-air missiles. On July 3rd, 1988, the USS Vincennes was traveling through the Persian Gulf when it received word from the USS Montgomery about attacks from Iranian Revolutionary Guard ships. A reconnaissance helicopter was, um, I I think, shot at by, like, small arms fire. I'm not, it it wasn't, like, super clear to me, and I'm not, like, a military analyst, but it was... I don't think we upon. really okay. We meaning like these U.S. ships. I don't think we really had permission to be where we were. So I don't know why we're like so surprised that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that, that we were met with resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a <laughs> so <laughs> yes, yes. It's not great. Um, on. At this point, an unidentified aircraft appeared on the radar of the USS Vincennes. Um, at this point, I was doing some like Wikipediaing of this whole incident, and it seems as though the captain, who is Captain William Rogers, was very focused on this conflict with the helicopter and ships in the area that this appearance of this aircraft really, like, I don't know, like... T- if, if the right word to describe it would be like tipped like the stress level over or or what but this aircraft appeared on their radar uh and everyone's already at this like heightened level everyone on the u.s in the u.s side is already on this like heightened level of aggression and whatever and so they try and hail the 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 plane several attempts to contact the plane were unsuccessful it didn't respond um, Captain Rogers then uh, fired missiles on the aircraft in fear that it may strike the Vincennes. Can you uh, fucking imagine if someone did that to a U.S. plane? Uh, yeah, that no. What <laughs> what war? What other war would we be in right now? I think this guy was just really trigger happy. And so that's like, what that's what people said about him. I was reading about it and again, like oh, there's a lot of criticism at this guy that basically said that he was known for being very aggressive and that a lot of people think this was just like the inevitable outcome of his aggression that this 
situation happened and they fired on a plane and guess what it was a, a pa- it was an Iranian passenger plane it was civilian um and what's horrifying is like I mean the whole thing is horrifying but there's video footage um yeah. that unsolved mysteries plays because there was an uh um a camera crew on board the Vincennes and you can see like all of the crew members on the Vincennes cheering when they struck the plane. And then all of a sudden they start getting reports that an Iranian passenger flight, this was Iran air flight 655. Um, It was a commercial passenger plane. It had 290 passengers and crew aboard. And suddenly these reports came in that this plane was missing and they realized, Oh shit, that's the plane. We just we just killed 290 people for absolutely no fucking reason. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that this is on on some mysteries. I I know you're gonna get to the actual like mystery, but I'm kind of surprised that they told this story because I feel like this is something the U.S. government like really likes to pretend didn't happen. Well, they frame it as a tragic accident (laughs) in the segment. Yeah. Uh, uh, the captain is interviewed for the show and he is portrayed as being, I mean, he probably was torn up by this. Um, you know, he, I think Robert Stack mentions that it like haunted him for the rest of his life or what. So it, as it should, a, though. Yeah. As it should. There's a sympatheticness yeah, yeah. towards him and the situation that I don't know. I mean, so there's, there's that. Um, uh, so what Unsolved Mysteries describes, again, is that most people accepted the downing of Iran Air Flight 655 as an, a tragic error, but the error nonetheless. Um, the flight was not running on its scheduled time, and it did not respond to repeated attempts to identify itself. The Vincennes could not tell the difference between the plane and a fighter jet. I, I, I'm oh not sure God. why. I assume maybe radar wasn't that sophisticated at the time. Don't. I have no idea. I'm sure people will correct anything I get wrong about this. Inside <laughs> inside Iran, however, the response was very different, as you would expect. Huh. I wonder uh, if people were mad about, like, I don't know, their families being blown up. People were very mad. They refused to forgive and claimed that they had a right to seek revenge. Um, meanwhile, in San Diego, California, this is where we get to the actual the mystery. Um Captain Roger's wife, Sharon, um, who was a fourth grade teacher, was trying to cope with news of the incident. A week later, at about 1 a.m., her phone rang and a man with a Middle Eastern accent asked Sharon if this was the home of Captain Rogers. He then asked her, are you the wife of the murderer? To which she hung up the phone. Sharon was afraid that someone was planning retribution against her. The Naval Investigative Service was called in to secure their home. Agents checked the mail and monitored incoming phone calls. They asked Sharon to always keep her van in the garage for fear that it would be targeted. Uh, About 10 weeks passed and there were no further threats. Um, And then on October 24th, 1988, Sharon was at the dock to welcome the USS Vincennes and her husband home. Um, Despite the lack of threats, the Rogers still kept their their guard up. Um, They always remembered to put their vehicles in the garage, as was recommended to them. But there was one night, this was March 9th, 1989, that they forgot to pull Sharon and William's car and van into the driveway. Um, And they're both interviewed for the show, and they said that this is the one night that they forgot, forgot to do that. 
At 7 a.m. the next morning, William drove Sharon's van to a local market to pick up uh, breakfast pastries, I guess. After having breakfast, Sharon left in the van to go uh, to work. At a red light, um, she suddenly heard a loud explosion behind her. The back of her van was completely engulfed in flames. She had difficulty um, due to her seatbelt, like locked up. um, And she had a moment where she was sort of unable to free herself. But she was able to get away with basically just seconds to spare before her whole uh, van lit, like caught fire and just became engulfed in flames. Uh, first responders came and when she told them who she was they suddenly realized that something something else was going it wasn't just that her van overheated or whatever and caught fire that this was probably it just like explodes if the reenactment is at all accurate it explodes in like a ball of flame yeah it's (laughs) big boom and her husband is like i thought maybe it was the catalytic converter and i was like you could just be driving your car and it would just explode (laughs) and you would just be like huh that's weird. Yeah, I don't, know. I, I don't think that's how it works. But whoever she was talking to immediately recognized that this was suddenly suddenly recognized that this was criminal and called the Naval Investigative Service and the FBI. They came in and um, secured the scene and immediately started investigating it as an explosion. Um, they determined that there was a large pipe bomb that had been strapped to the underbelly of the van. Uh, the blast had gone just behind Shannon's. Uh, Sharon's seat and out the roof it barely missed her essentially the FBI learned from neighbors that about two months prior to the bombing a stranger had been uh, walking around their neighborhood asking questions um, asking if this was their house um, being very kind of strange and well he had specifically asked like where that captain lived and they wouldn't say and then he was just like is there a Middle Eastern family in the neighborhood and of course the neighbor was like oh yeah that way Right. right. So weird. So based on this neighbor's description, a composite was drawn up the, of the man who was described as 5'9", thin. Uh... Uh, five nine and a half, Samantha. They got it down. <laughs> that, that height estimate was down to the half inch for some reason. Very precise. Very precise. Yeah. He supposedly had dark hair and eyes. He had receding hairline. Uh, he had a Middle Eastern accent. The... There was a second man who waited for him in a BMW with California license plates. Um, basically, they were yeah trying to figure out who who put a pipe bomb in in this van. Um, the results is that it is unsolved. Investigators eventually came to believe that the bombing was a result of a personal vendetta against Captain Rogers. Um, of course, I don't know. Yeah, it took it, a, it took a the, real Sherlock Holmes to figure that out. If this. Captain hadn't shot down a plane. I'm not sure anyone would have a reason to put a pipe bomb in the van of a fourth grade teacher. Like, of course, this has- <laughs> I could have solved that. The but the statute of limitations eventually expired on this case in 1994 um, due to the bomber huh. never being identified. So that's huh. that's that. It's unsolved to this day. I mean, kind of unsolved. We know why it happened, just not specifically who. Yeah. Yeah um well huh who knew there could be consequences for imperialism strange who knew who knew yeah uh that's a that's a thing i did not expect to see on unsolved mysteries but anyway. no me neither oh oh and the, oh also the wife at one point talks about how she wants to send a message to terrorism <laughs> what does that Ter- even mean <laughs> all terrorism i guess okay lady but 
I wanted to point out that there is a spectacular mullet in this segment. Oh, you're right. <laughs> and it's also someone that seems to work for the Navy, which I did not see coming. Because he's like, I don't know if it's just in the reenactment or he really worked for the Navy. I'm not quite sure. It's like him on a computer, like trying to solve what's up. <laughs> and I just didn't expect to see a Navy mullet. But anyway, I've named it. All right. Jag in the front, jag off in the back. <laughs> I'm did very you follow, proud. Did you follow the standard mustache naming procedure to name this mullet? Is that the first thing that popped into your head when you saw it? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. nice. <laughs> that's, that's It's honestly an art form. It really is. Okay. Now we have a, a lost love, which Robert Stack introduces by referring to rock and roll musician John Lennon, which I feel like is the most hilarious way to talk about John Lennon I've ever. Like, you can't just say John Lennon. Like, we don't know who that is. <laughs> Rock and roll musician John Lennon once said, life is what happens while you're making other plans. First of all, everybody knows that quote. And everybody knows who John Lennon is. All right, Stack. Rock and roll. Do you? Are you sure you don't mean the other John You don't mean just like a guy named John Lennon who, I don't know, works in shoot repair? Oh, you mean the famous John Lennon. Okay. Uh, this is the story of, of course, I forgot how to say his name. Philip Macri? Is that right? Uh, I think it's Macri. Close enough, anyway. Who, and they will not stop telling you, used to be a high school basketball star. The only reason his life had any purpose, apparently. But he was on vacation in Virginia Beach back in August 28th, 87. He was doing some body surfing, and he dove into a wave and instantly broke his neck. Uh, he remembers opening his eyes underwater and not understanding why he couldn't move. And he could tell that he was being pulled out further and further into the ocean and started worrying about being eaten by sharks and also the end of his basketball career. However, the reason this segment exists is because he was rescued by a mysterious babe, <laughs> a woman who dove into the water and pulled him out. And at least in the reenactment, total babe. Total so, babe, a mystery. Total babe. Ba I, this is another a thing I did not see coming. Babe. It was a mystery babe in this in this episode. I wish they had claimed that possibly she was like a mermaid. Like I wish they had claimed that maybe this was like not even a human. That's the only thing that would have made it better. So while he there, so she pulls him back onto the beach. Um, there's this commotion from you know him being rescued. His sister is like saying like, "Can you move your feet? Can you you know can you wiggle your toes?" And he's going like, "No, I can't." because he doesn't know it but he's broken his neck and so there's this you know huge commotion about him getting medical attention and whatever and during that time the mysterious babe just walked away mm -hmm. so they she they never got a chance to thank her for saving philip's life so he is taken to the hospital he had sand pumped from his stomach for days oh this and, is so awful yeah uh, and had ended up having weeks of fe like high fevers from the infections from the break um, so it is actually like pretty miraculous that he survived. Um, and I think his mom comes in wearing the most like amazing puffy paint shirt that you've ever seen. <laughs> Does she have, is, so she has all of these different shapes on her shirt and like yeah. little chains dangling from it. Is one of the shapes a coffin? It's like coffin shaped. Was this a Halloween oh. puffy paint shirt? Maybe. I, I don't, I don't know. I didn't catch that. I don't know. I think it could it was just be, to just be random, like random geometric forms, which we were really into. We were just into yeah, like yeah. shapes, the power of shapes. <laughs> um, 
so when he's released from the hospital, he has a series of goals. And his first goal is like that he's going to be able to get in the wheelchair, I think. And then like his second goal is he's going to go to college. And his third goal is that he's going to get a job or something like that. So he ends up becoming a player. Um, oh, my God. He ends up becoming a play-by-play announcer for local basketball games. So he is on the uh, he's on Unsolved Mysteries because he wants to find the mysterious babe and thank her for saving his life. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. So I think she was actually watching the segment. Um, it turns out not really a hot mermaid, just a normal woman, Linda Potts. Uh, she calls in. They're reunited. And for some reason, she says that she feels like she found a lost member of her family. And I was like, this is someone you never even talked to. <laughs> like, I'm glad you saved. You were there and he, you saved his life. Like, that's amazing. But. I don't know. They, his family like throws her this big celebratory dinner. They have a banquet and like a VFW or something. And she's like, "Oh, if Philip ever needs anything, just give it." These seem like the nicest people in the entire world. <laughs> they so I am glad they found each other, and now we're going to be friends. I I wish the best to Philip. Let's see if there's like I don't know what there would be an update of, but I actually didn't check. Oh, so it's a little bit weird. Um, Linda, who's the mysterious babe, had actually learned years earlier from a co-worker of her husband that Philip was the person she had saved. However, she was unaware he was searching for her until the story aired. Oh, interesting. Yeah. There you go. That's that case. I suppose she didn't want to just be like, hey, remember that person that saved your life? That's me. Yeah, there's like really no reason for her to get in touch if she does, you know, without... Right this like public call for like i'm looking for this person she just like found out i I'm, I'm sure she was probably like curious if he survived i would be yeah and so she probably found out like oh yeah it's this guy he does the basketball announcements now and she was like oh cool all right so all we right. have to skip a few non-mysteries oh. like most of this episode is a special alert we've already seen and an update yep. for a case we already watched Remember that really sad case where that guy was looking for his wife and then it turned out that she was murdered by their neighbor and he buried her at the end of the driveway? Yeah. You want to watch the whole segment again? Because it's in this episode. Do you want to uh, see the husband crying and like desperately offering reward money even if it just leads her to his, even if it just leads him to her dead body? It's like the saddest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life where he's like, here's the reward money if she's alive. And, and if you can lead me to the body, here's this lesser amount of reward money. And then you just want to cry yourself to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so, for making me relive that unsolved mysteries. So our, our last segment is a very quick special alert. This is like a, an American. There's two in this episode. I mean, one is something we've already seen. Yeah. But this one is like a, yeah, an America's Most Wanted. We are looking for some. Oh, Robert Stack calls them a marauding street game. <laughs> Two people who rob pizzerias. Calm down. (laughs) At at another point, he calls them the pizza bandits, which I think is hilarious. Uh, (laughs) I miss that somehow. It makes it sound like they're stealing pizzas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I picture like, I don't know, like cartoon cartoon. rats. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're the pizza bandits. (laughs) Um, This is almost like a warning. Like, if you own a pizzeria in this area, you're probably going to get robbed. Probably. That seems like the more the point of this segment. Like, watch out. Robbery's coming your way. <laughs> Police are searching for six to eight men who are responsible for at least 29 pizza restaurant robberies in Vallejo and other cities in Northern California since August 1991. 
The robberies typically occur occur between 9 and 11 p.m. near closing time. This means that the restaurant is usually almost empty and the cash register is almost always full. It is believed that the group works in rotating teams of two. The robberies usually last about two to three minutes. The robbers it sounds like two... a very professional operation, two to three I minutes. Mean, they've got a lot of practice. At this point, they've done like 30 pizzerias. There's got to be Do you... so many pizzerias in this area. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> This is a pretty populous area, I guess. Um, uh, Do you think they ever took some of the pizzas so that they didn't have to make dinner? I mean, like they're robbing the cash register, and then you're like, "This pizza's like ready." They just throw the extra pizza out at the end of the night, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, you might as well just take it. (laughs) Maybe they are pizza bandits after all. Uh, the robbers have used specific language and terms during the robberies, such as the number 187, which is the penal code for murder. I oh. think at some point they're like, hey, we don't want this to turn into a 187. Uh, like, right. they're, like, you know, stick to robbing. No murders. This this sounds like a very professional operation to me. They they know the they know the codes. They're out in two to three minutes. They rotate so that other people can get rest. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. They work in shifts. Yeah, uh, it sounds yeah. like they get PTO. I I <laughs> I have some respect for these pizza bandits. So they're typically wearing ski masks. They do usually bring guns, but at this point, they haven't actually hurt anyone. It seems like they're trying not to. Um, they I appear mean, to know the. Like a- teenager selling pizza like how hard are you gonna stop try to stop someone robbing you you are gonna just throw the cash register at them you're gonna uh, be like does this mean i can clock off early <laughs> you want to you guys want a pizza too we got we're just throwing these away breadsticks <laughs> dipping sauce <laughs> So they also appear to know the layouts of their targets ahead of time. Police believe that the men are part of a local gang, which is nicknamed the Romper Room Gang. <laughs> That's the worst name for a gang I've ever heard. They'd be better off being called the Pizza Bandits. <laughs> oh, and then the they could get satin jackets with pizzas on them. Oh, that's... See, we always got to think about the outfits. Yeah. I don't... I realize gangs don't really do that obviously but i kind of wish that they would have people thought about having like a more west side story styling to their gang (laughs) or is there literally the the opposite of a reason to do that um society is about to collapse do we need to become a marauding street gang and get i think everyone will like the, the warriors everybody will pick their like theme yeah, and then they'll draw. We'll go, oh, we're gonna have to think what our theme is. Before then. the post office is completely gone, we need to order some jackets on Etsy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm all for it. I love a satin jacket. Goes with everything. All hmm. right. So the update is that at least two members of the gang were captured in 1992. Uh, They were arrested for several pizza restaurant robberies. They were also arrested for several bank robberies. Um, Their more gang members were later arrested and uh, charged for the pizza robberies. I like that Unsolved Mysteries didn't give a shit about those bank robberies. They were only (laughs) concerned about the pizza robberies. Protect Uh, our pizzerias! Well, there's a certain certain charm and ring to pizza bandit. (laughs) Uh, Bank robber, ho hum. Heard about that. Pizza bandit. That's new. The identities of the robbers were not revealed in the update in the episode, but Unsolved Mysteries Wiki says that 
rapper Andre Hicks, also known as Mac Dre, was allegedly one of the members of the Romper Room Gang. In 1992, he was convicted of conspiracy to commit robbery, robbery and sentenced to five years in prison and was released in 1996. So, five someone... years for conspiracy to commit robbery? Man. That's yeah, tough. That's, that's kind of a lot. Um, so there's that. That's wow. the that's the special alert. The <laughs> pizza bandit alert. Yeah. Robert Stack wants to make sure if you're eating pizza late late at night, you know, be safe. Be safe. Don't be get safe robbed. Uh that's the episode. Should I we can't read believe it? that's the whole episode. Yeah, well, most of it was updates we've already seen. Was updates like we've already seen. Packaged food, and when you open it up, you're like, this chip bag is only like a third full. That's a good analogy. That's how this episode is. You're like, chip bag is mostly air. There has to be more to this. And then somehow you like go to break the Kit Kat, but there's only one. And you're like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Those avocados that are like all pit. Yeah. So disappointing. All right. Very disappointing. So mysteriousness? Mm -mm. Not that mysterious. America is a terrorist. Uh... What else do we talk? What else do we talk about? Mysterious babe is not a mermaid. Disappointing. Like guy grew pot. We know who he is. Yeah, um, guy grew pot. Couldn't be less mysterious. This might be one of the least mysterious things we've talked about. Not mysterious. Pizza oh, bandits. No. Guys want money and possibly also pizza. Not mysterious. <laughs> um, reenactments. I will say they did blow up a van. That's true. That's true. And they explosion. got a hot babe to rescue someone from the sea. So we've seen worse. That's true. Uh, Thumbs up, I guess. Sideways. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is this exploding van worth it? I mean, that's a decent amount of production value, but it's only one, one it's small only one, segment. one thing. So, yeah. okay, thumb sideways. Sideways. Fashion, though. Man, oh, man. There's... If... um. If you're looking for like a realistic way people dressed in the early 90s, it was not all neon leg warmers. That's like special, right? That's a special occasion look. People weren't always wearing that. This is a very realistic portrayal of the turtlenecks and puffy paint shirts. Oversized suits. Yeah, there's the the VFW party is really a time capsule of everyday (laughs) clothes. Just just everyday a normal person, middle America attire of you know, not what was on like TV, what people were actually wearing, buying from their local Kmart or Sears or something. This episode has it. I have to say, yeah, so so suits at this time, so baggy. So baggy. Uh what always comes to mind is Con Air. John Cusack and Con Air, even though it's a little bit later. That suit, he's like swimming in it. It like ripples in the wind. <laughs> it's so big because clothes were so baggy. But you see Stack, his suits, fits, they fit in the shoulders so yeah, good. Perfectly tailored. His yeah. tailoring is impeccable. And he's not going to let the 90s ruin that. And I, res- I respect it. I respect it a lot. So Stack, thumbs up just for that. Also for telling us who John Lennon is. Thanks, Robert Stack. <laughs> Thumbs up. All right. So on our Robert Stack scale of zero to five Robert Stacks, I don't know. Is this like is a this two like, and a half? Is this yeah, a three? It's like, it's like not even worth mentioning. It's like almost not worth rating. It's like a non-event. 
Yeah, I definitely wouldn't watch this one again. It's like I'll probably if- forget about. This is definitely one of those episodes that I will forget about. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's like so if you in order that way- the most inconsequential product from Amazon, like paper clips, and then you kept getting emails like, how would you rate your recent purchase? And you're just like, I don't know. It's paper clips. Like, who cares? <laughs> That's this episode. Yeah, I kind of agree. So is that like a two, two and a half? Yeah, it's like a two. It's like it's, it's you don't hate it enough to remember it, but you definitely don't like it. It's just a thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, Lenny is asleep on the floor right now, and I feel like that is an appropriate reaction to this episode. <laughs> I do nodding off. Kind of feel like I need a nap, but we still have to give our recommendations. Okay, I guess I can do that <laughs> since it's required by law. Oh, I have a, like, side recommendation first. Oh. Say you're like me and you have bangs. And also, you can't leave the house. Right? It's a Maybe problematic combination. You've seen many a, many a hairdresser tell you not to cut your own bangs. Right? Because you're going to try to even them out. You're going to go up too much on one side. You're going to end up like some mustaches we've seen on this show. Over trimmed. I'm trying to even it out. Don't worry. I have the perfect solution. And it sounds like I'm joking. <laughs> it sounds like I'm setting up a joke, but I'm not. I saw this old ad for scotch tape that showed you a child with tape across the bang. And it was like, and now you just cut across the tape. Okay. Uh, guess what? That works perfectly. Oh, nice. Also, all the hair is stuck to the tape, so you don't even make a mess. Just peel it right off your forehead. That's genius. It really is. You literally tape your bangs to your face, having the edge of the tape where you want to trim. You just follow along with the scissors. If you have a blunt bang cut like me, if you have lazy Betty Page bangs, or even if you're willing to have them while you're home in quarantine because you don't want to grow out your bangs, you just go along that tape. Brilliant. Perfect. I did it the other day for the second time. Looks great. I've had professionals cut my bangs and it not look as good as this. I might never pay for a bang trim again. I'm impressed. So thanks, old ad for scotch tape that I saw on the internet and everybody was laughing at. And then someone said, oh, no, I really do this and it works. I tried it. Recommend. Okay. My actual (laughs) recommendation is an artist and designer that goes by, I don't know how I'm supposed to say this, Art Attack? A-R-T-E-T-A-K? Art Attack? I think... Her real name is Kate Logan. She's an artist and designer. And I'm bringing her up because I recently ordered a couple things for our podcast. uh, Because Friend of the Pod Arden sent me an image of a Barbie dream house that said, come back with a warrant. And I went, yes, I need this in my life. And so I immediately ordered both me and Samantha a prismatic sticker with that image on it. Oh, my God. So good. I also got for the podcast, this is all business supplies, I'll have you know, uh, this memo paper of an adorable Mothman. It's like purple and it has this cute little Mothman on the bottom. So now we can send that out with our Patreon things. So good. So I think I've been aware of this artist for a long time because she makes a cute like Baphomet image that I get see used a lot. Uh, But I never ordered anything before. Until I desperately needed these come back with a warrant stickers. And they have a bunch of cute stuff. And I'm probably going to have to get more now. There's Barbie driving a a pink car saying, fuck the police. Like, (laughs) 
Everyone how, needs that. How? Yeah, you can get a beret with a little devil goat on it that says "Hail yourself." I mean, this stuff is so good. A sticker that says "Drink water, you stupid idiot." I need that. Max trying to sneak into the room right now. That was actually very quiet. That was very sneaky, Mac. If I hadn't said anything, no one would know. Um, so that is my recommendation. You can find this at shop artattack.com and there's prints there's stickers there's you know all that stuff the sticker is high quality i have mine on my yeah. laptop I'm, I'm looking at it right now i put it on a like caboodly thing i use for crafts and i just love seeing it there oh i could get a fuck the police sticker too why didn't i do that oh and to go along with this episode you can get a uh sticker of the Chuck E. cheese mouse that says mechanical rat pizza <laughs> And is referred to as the child casino sticker. So if you would like to celebrate the pizza bandits, perhaps that. Chuck, Chuck E. Cheese is a child casino. <laughs> it really is. Except there's a ball pit. Yeah. Oh, those those hilarious. are never coming back, right? Oh, no. Definitely not. That's just like a germ filled. It's just a germ pit is really what it is. Yeah, you're just throwing your child into a pit of germs. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. I don't know that that mechanical pizza rat will survive the uh, the pandemic, but you can celebrate the memory of the pizza bandits. Anyway, <laughs> all of this stuff is so cute. Really well done. Yeah, I am I'm very much enjoying my sticker. So if you need something to throw your money away on, I can't really think of a better way to burn it. I agree. And what is your recommendation, dear Samantha? I'm recommending a book I finished recently. Um, oh, la di da! I haven't finished a lot of books since the pandemic started. To I don't be know why I said that, but just the <laughs> idea of having the attention span to read a book, I was like, "Oh, someone, someone is so well educated." Uh, well, first of all, I listened to this book on audio, uh, <laughs> okay, well, so sitting down to read a book is—I don't have the attention span to do that. But I—I I guess I recommend this audio book. It was very good. The, the narrator was very nice. This is a nonfiction book called *The Great Pretender*. The Undercover Mission That Changed oh, yeah. Our Understanding of Madness. Um, this is by Susanna uh, Cal... It's not Callahan. It's Kalan? I'm, sure. I'm certain I pronounced her name. I'm really bad at pronouncing names. It's something that I've discovered about myself in doing this podcast. She wrote a book that you may recognize called Brain on Fire. She was misdiagnosed as having schizophrenia when she came oh, underneath this like very severe psychosis suddenly. And it ended up that she had um, encephalitis. She had brain inflammation that was causing this. Oh. And she was almost institutionalized because doctors were like, well, it's schizophrenia. We don't know. Send her to an institution. And there was one doc. I haven't read Brain on Fire because this book is not about her story necessarily. Um, but she talks about it a little bit in the beginning. Um, and I guess there was one doctor that was sort of like, something else is going on here. We need to dig a little bit deeper and basically discovered that she had um, this inflammation of the brain oh, and wow. she went on to write about her, her, her experience because it was very frightening, um, you know, yeah, dealing with that. Um, so that's that book, Brain on Fire, which I might read because she's a very good, she's an excellent author. Um, I really enjoyed this book. So I think I might read that one as well. This though is the story. She, as, as a result of this, she went on to write the book. She does speaking engagements, things like that. Um, she became interested in the history of the way we 
have treated severe mental illness in the United States, uh, specifically institutions. And um, this led her to become fascinated by this study by this Stanford psychologist named David Rosenhan. Um, In the 1970s, he did this a uh, very famous study where he sent fake, they call them pseudo patients, fake patients um, into various uh, institutions, um, these inpatient uh, treatment facilities for people who have severe mental illnesses. And um, they basically presented with certain symptoms and pretended to be, uh, they basically set out to try and get diagnosed with schizophrenia and get admitted. And then he wrote this paper about it. Hmm. And there, it, it wasn't the thing that changed our treatment of mental illness in the United States. There was, it was all, the ball was already rolling. Um, there was anti psychology. There was sort of an anti psychology movement. Um, other, you know, the lobotomy was coming under question. There was a lot of things that precipitated this. I don't know this, how but you could question just shoving an ice cube <laughs> into someone's head. Yeah, <laughs> imagine, imagine that. Um, but th- it definitely. Uh, contributed uh, a great deal to like basically our lack of a mental health in, uh, institution today. Um, and I really enjoyed th- I didn't expect this book to have a mystery element. I don't want to give anything away, oh. but there is a, there's a sort of a plot almost. There is a storyline. Um, there's twists and turns. The author does sort of, there's very little is known about him. Essentially. He didn't reveal the names of his pseudo patients. Um, he passed away. Um, he was going to write a book that he'd never finished, and he was actually sued by his publisher for not finishing it. So there's there very little was known about, and so she sort of set out to figure out like what is mm. this guy's deal, like mm. um, what was up with this, and she becomes sort of in very almost obsessed with it, it's all that sort of thing. This investigation happens, uh, and she writes about it in the book. It's very very good. It's very well written, very fascinating. Um, what she uncovers. Like I said, there's a mystery that I wasn't expecting. I really recommend, I really enjoyed it. Um, it sounds really good. I've been in a bit of a reading slump. I just look at my Goodreads and I don't, nothing interests me. <laughs> but this was recommended to me by uh, our friend Heather, who I think might be listening. Thank you, Heather, for this recommendation. I'm going to pass the recommendation to the rest of the five because I really enjoyed this book. Um, yeah. I know a lot of our listeners like me are really into nonfiction, so... Uh, I really recommend it. Yeah, that sounds good. It's a good recommendation. Okay. I think that brings our episode to a close. Unless there's anything you just want to get off your chest. No. No, same. I'm already thinking about my Animal Crossing Island. I'm already checking. I'm already putting my my card in the slot to check out. Did you you buy buy turnips this week? No. Okay, so... So Arden, our friend of the pod, Arden, is like a, a billionaire because she's so good at uh, Animal Crossing. She was born to play Animal Crossing. So the other week, she just came to my island and paid off my last loan. Amazing. So I, I, I really, I have no need. I have no need of the stock market anymore. Have you, like, moved your villagers' houses? That is what cost me the most bells out of anything I've done in this stupid game, is moving every <laughs> building. And then what will happen was I would, like, move, like, my... I would spend, like, 50,000 bells to move my shop somewhere and then decide that it didn't quite fit with what I was trying to do. And then I'd have to spend another 50,000 bells to, like, move it just a little bit to one, one direction. 
took up so much time. Actually, yeah. So if you have to move something just a little, do you have to move it somewhere completely different and then? I never had to move it just like one square. I moved it like a a jump, but I, I think probably you might have to do that. Uh, that, would, that would be terrible if you just had to move it like a tiny bit to the left. I know people like completely overhaul their islands and do all this terraforming and stuff, but I just don't. I don't really see me doing that. I don't know. Maybe I'll get some grand vision. I kind of like it though. I kind of like how it is. Well, <sighs> who knows? Anyway, why are we talking about this? Oh, because I, it's I, time I to go. <laughs> We're done. So, Let's plug our shit. Perhaps it's you. We are on the Twitter, the Instagram. There's a Facebook group. There's also, you guessed it, an Animal Crossing group spinoff. We have a website, perhaps it's you.com, that has our recommendations that I may or may not have updated, that has a contact thing, that has all of our good stuff. It has just great pictures of us looking awesome. I mean, what more could you want? Honestly, check it out. If you are thinking about giving us a two-star review, but think uh, instead, I think I'm going to email them, don't do that. Instead, oh, God, give us a that. five-star review. You can put your criticism in there. Just make sure it's five stars. Yeah, exactly. We only accept five-star reviews. If you have the app Podcast Addict, which is how I listen to podcasts, I they didn't pay me to mention that. I'm bringing it up because they now have their own reviews because I don't have an iPhone. I can't leave iTunes reviews, but I can leave reviews through that. So that's another way to do it. Um, 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 what else is there? Oh, Patreon. You're going to want to give us at least a dollar. I don't know, maybe $10 to our Patreon because we are discussing the Unsolved Mysteries reboot. This month, we will be doing episodes two and three. So, and we already did one and two. So you could listen to that. You can listen. I, there's like 30 some episodes there. We have quite the back dollar. catalog. That's a heck yeah. of a deal. Yeah. And if you give us $5, you get a coloring sheet every month. And, and last that comes month, by email. So if, if you know, yeah, if the post office is done for you. <laughs> right. That's as I know. So you'll yeah. definitely get that. And last month was a, we had a guest artist do ha- crafts in the past. No, crimes in the past were just crafts. It was so amazing good. color sheet. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Is that everything? I think so. I think it is. Yeah. Oh, if you want to send us a spooky story of something that happened to you, or perhaps you had a psychic dream, or you saw a ghost, or a demon, or, um, I don't know, you went to Bob Mackey's Music World, you should email us at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Do it. Yes. Okay. So, Americans, you got to stay home. You can solve mysteries from your couch, but that's it. Uh, other people living in a more civilized place, maybe you can get out and solve some mysteries. I don't know. Everybody else, just keep barking. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.